This morning we are over in John chapter 10, in the opinion of Jesus. And really, that's the main opinion that counts. In the opinion of Jesus. What is the greatest sign in a believer's life that demonstrates spiritual growth? Well, there's a parable that teaches us what the greatest sign is. At least, if it's not the greatest, it is one of the greatest. He's going to teach us better understand how to know the difference between being compelled to speak and being led by the Holy Spirit. We were talking about that some last week. And if you're, how many are up on Facebook and saw the little review I put up there? Appreciate you, Ethel. There we go, both of you. Appreciate both of you. <laughs> no, I know not too many people see that. I keep wanting to make a mention of this. If you ever have a hard time going up on Facebook and finding the things that you want from the church that we put up there, if you just want to bypass Facebook altogether, go to the church webpage, scroll down, and there is a link to our Facebook page on the website. It blocks out everything else from Facebook. And all you see is the content that is up there from Zoe Christian Fellowship. If you go up on there, if you are a member, if you're logged in on Facebook, you can do all the things you would do on Facebook. You can like it, you can comment, you can do all that. If you're not logged in on Facebook, you won't be able to do those things. But if you want to see them, that's up there. I put this in, and just to give you a little anticipation here, of all the things that I have great passion about, there is one that stands out, at least to me. I've lost friendships over it. I've lost connections with people. But for me, there's no letting it go. In this parable, I'll be able to show you one of the reasons why I've never let this go. But we'll have to get through the whole parable here for that. Last week, we were looking at judging. Remember, the, he started out saying, judge not lest you be judged. And then he went into a whole lot of other aspects of it too. And we're not going to try and review all the things that were there. But I hope you were thinking about the judging aspect and how we can so easily fall into a place of passing judgment. I think of some of the things that we that come to our mind often, or we even say with our mouth, but it may not come across to us as judging. How about something like this? Why did they wear that? Well, see, that's a judgment, isn't it? How about this? Why did they go there? Why did they do that? Why did they say that? Why did they say it that way? When we feel that my way of doing something is superior to others, we have judged them. I don't know everything that was against them. Brother Hagen told us a story. I'm not going to repeat the whole story here. But he told us a story about that, how God hit him up about judging his, uh, his ministers. And it was simply something along these lines. But the Lord ministered to him. He says, you don't know all that he was up against and you don't know if you wouldn't have fared any better. I always keep that in mind. I don't know what people are up against. I can only see what they did. I don't know what, they, what came against them. So make sure that you, you hold back on that. When I give advice, whether it was requested or not, and it's not followed, do I think, well... They will see that my way was better. I've passed judgment. When I see a response to something I said, or what somebody else has said, and decide, well, they shouldn't have responded that way. Are we not judging? You ever done that? I mean, you have a little outburst of the flesh that comes out. 
and then you judge how a person responded to you. That's not good. We got to first of all take the log out of our own eyes, then we can take the speck out of someone else's. When I think, well, if they were smart, they would. I have passed judgment. They shouldn't buy that house, that car, spend that money. I have judged. Why did they get a dog now? <laughs> I have judged. Now is not a good time to be changing jobs or buying stock or investing in whatever. I am passing judgment. Not what we plan to do, but if that person is following the leading of their spirit to do or not to do something, I am expecting that person to yield to what I say, to yield to my voice instead of the Holy Spirit. I know that's not what we plan, but that is one of the end results. The Word of God has many times shown that this has happened. And it never ends well. I'm going to give you a couple. How about Solomon? He heeded the voices of who? His wives. He stopped yielding to the voice of the Spirit. Listened to his wives and he got in trouble. King Joash listened to others. And he left God. I'm going to read this to you in Second Chronicles 24:17. Now after the death of Jehoiada, the leaders of Judah came and bowed down to the king and the king listened to them. The king listened to them. Therefore they left the house of the Lord God of their fathers and served wooden images and idols. And wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem because of their trespass. Yet he sent prophets to them to bring them back to the Lord and they testify against them, but they would not listen. He listened to the voices of those around him. Ananias and Sapphira. We all know what they did with presenting their offering as if it would they were presenting the entire sale. Don't you know that probably one of them came up with the idea and shared it with the other? And they listened to them. The more insisting or demanding a voice is, the less likely it is of God. I've always tried to keep note of that. God does not demand that I listen to Him. He wants me to yield to him. Think of Peter's voice. Remember when he was denying the Lord three times? The first time, he was forceful. The second time, he was even more forceful. And the third time, he added some cuss words in there just to get the point across. Kept increasing the intensity. Always be looking at that. I hope you're looking at your, your life this week, trying to decide in my... Am I passing judgment? Because I don't want to have those things going on in my life. Just make sure. That's one of those things I just kind of put in my life and make sure I adopt. If I see somebody doing something, do not judge it. If they come to me and they, they ask you some things, you can tell them. But then let it go. I don't know what voice they're listening to. And here, when we look at this t something here today, we're going to see one of the most important aspects of your growth. And unfortunately, it's avoided by too many people. John chapter 10, verse 1. This parable is of the sheepfold and the shepherd and is the only one given by John. And only John covers it. Most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up some other way, the same 
is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. If you are not familiar with the ways of the Mideast during this time, what they would do is they would the shepherd would have all his sheep. I don't know how many he has. Let's just take a number that Jesus used one time, a hundred. He has a hundred sheep. And he's going and the sheep are following the shepherd. Wouldn't that be nice if the animals, the livestock in your house just followed you wherever you went? You wouldn't have to wonder where they are, where they are. There. You know, the dog runs away. Cat's doing its own thing. The bird flies out of the cage. But here are the sheep, they follow the shepherd. And so they're wandering around in the, the, the wilderness there, the, the lands that are before them, feeding them, getting them some water. And then they come to a common place, maybe a place where the shepherd is going to sleep, maybe a place where the shepherd is going to uh, eat. And they have a big area where the shepherd can come and they let all their sheep in. And then they go and they, they do their thing and there's a doorkeeper there that would make sure that the only ones coming through the door are the shepherds. And so they would go in, they would do their thing and they would come about, back out. The doorkeeper would open the gate and the shepherd would call. And the sheep would follow. They would follow. Now the other sheep, they don't know the shepherd. And they stay in the sheepfold. But the hundred sheep that he's got, he calls them and they all come out. And so they can, they can take all these sheep and mix them together because when the shepherd calls, they will follow him. Isn't that cool? That's, they would, that's how they would do all this. They would bring them all into the, the sheepfold this way and it didn't matter if they got mixed up because they would come. When you would have new sheep that are born, little lambs, the lambs don't know the voice of the shepherd. So guess who the lambs followed? The lambs would follow mama. Mama's got the food. Staying with this one. Who's mama following? The shepherd. What's the lamb learn? Follow the voice of the shepherd. That's how they're grown up. And so that whole sheepfold learns the voice of the shepherd and they respond to the voice of the shepherd. That's the goal. That's what Jesus uses here as the example. They all are very familiar with this example. They see it all the time. But he's bringing it in to teach them a, a different principle. Look at verse 1 again. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. It is interesting to note that of all the aspects of the sheepfold that he starts with, he starts with the thieves and the robbers. The people who come into the sheepfold a different way. I thought that was real interesting. This is verse 1. Watch out for that. Remember when Jesus is teaching on the end times? What's his first thing out of his mouth? Be careful that no one deceive you. Paul constantly is warning about people deceiving them. This is what Jesus says. The shepherd comes in the gate. Keep this in mind because he's going to clarify this gate part here a little bit. The shepherd comes in the gate. Anybody else who comes in is not, who is not a shepherd is going to come in another way. They're going to come in over the wall. 
They're going to come in some, some other way. They're going to find a different way to get in other than the gate. If they are finding a different way in, he doesn't say interview them. He doesn't say, well, let's establish whether they're false or not. He says, if they are finding another way in, what are they? They are a thief or they are a robber. I heard, uh, heard somebody one time define these two and I thought it was a pretty good way to do it. Thief and a robber. A thief is one who steals from you without you knowing it. Deception, pickpockets, somehow they, they want to come in when you don't see them. But a robber is one who don't care whether you see it. They will beat you up. They will hold you at gunpoint until they take what it is that you have. Those are the two. Thief and a robber. Whoever does not come in the sheepfold by the gate is what? A thief or a robber. Should the sheep follow him? No. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own name his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them. And the sheep follow them, follow him, for they know his voice. Now there are people who will pose as a shepherd, but will not enter the fold the right way. Jesus is telling you this. There are people who will pose as a shepherd, but will not enter the fold the right way. If they're entering into the sheepfold, what is their interest? Sheep. There's nothing else really in there. This is really just a temporary place to hold them. If they're coming into the sheepfold, they want sheep. Now, by describing them as thieves and robbers, we know they are not there for the good of the sheep, but for the good of themselves. There are some people that are ministers, that claim to be ministers of the gospel, that are not in ministry for the good of the people, but for the good of themselves. Now, either they don't have the right to enter through the gate, they're not called, or desire more to enter a wrong way. Sometimes people just desire to enter into a wrong way. Now, I, I'm sure that you all know this, but um, of course I believe there's two genders of people. People are born boy or they're born girl. That's it. Boys are wired one way. Girls are wired another way. You may not have noticed this about boys, but I have because I was a boy. This I know about boys. We love to enter into things the wrong way. We love it. We're wired that way. Why go through the door when you can find a creative way to get inside? How many ever watched the Dukes of Hazards? How'd they get in their car? <laughs> through the window. <laughs> Why did they get in their car through the window? Because they rigged the door so they don't, don't open. They don't want to go in the normal way. They're boys. When to go in the, the wrong way. I know my, my friends and I, we used to, used to investigate some uh, houses that were either abandoned or 
burned out or just done that. We would rejoice when the front door would not open. Because that meant we have to go in another way. I got to find another way to get in. Through the cellar. Climbing up to the second floor. Maybe climb up a tree, get on the porch, get on inside. Oh, we got to come up with a creative way to get inside. I watched some of these, uh, these guys who uh, investigate abandoned places, urban, urban, um, uh, I don't know, urban investigate, explorer, urban explorers, that's the name. And I, I love watching some of their videos because they'll come up and the doors are locked. Oh, good. <laughs> How are you going to get in? And sometimes they show you some of the ways that they have to creatively get into the place so that they can uh, investigate and do so. Boys, we're just not wired. We don't want to always go in the normal way. Now, once we get out of the boy stage, we get into the man stage, we, uh, we generally like to go through the front door. But if you ever got your keys locked out of the house, how many have ever locked your keys out of the house? But a window is open. Who is the one you send in? Who's the one? The son, right? If you got a son handy, you, you grab him. Hey, can you go in? Right? We don't want the daughters. I'm not saying the daughters won't do this. There are some daughters, some tomboys, that they're just, they would do the same. Wait a minute, I'd get a chance to do this. I know. And there are some boys that say, no way. But for the most part, you grab the sun. Get in the window. And the sun's excited. Oh, yeah. I get to go in the window and open the door. We're excited. This gets us. We're glad. There are people in the body of Christ who like to go in the wrong way. They enjoy it. They haven't gotten out of that stage of boyhood. They want to go in the wrong way. They want to be the thieves and the robbers. Verse 5. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. They don't know that voice. I'll tell you, one of the best examples of this is Lumi. Lumi, when she hears the voice of someone that she is familiar with, she is excited. She runs to them with great enthusiasm. But if she hears the voice of someone she doesn't know, that girl goes from being wildly excited to extremely timid and shy. Wanting to hide behind things. This is what the sheep will do. That's a, that's a great picture of it. They hear the wrong voice. No, no, no. I'm going to pull, pull back from this. That's how it's supposed to be. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the stranger. What is the one thing that Jesus is showing that is going to tell the sheep the difference between the robber and the, uh, the shepherd? The one thing is the voice. The sheep may not always see how they got in, but they do know the voice. If they don't hear the voice of the shepherd, they don't respond. That's what he's talking about here. Let's keep on. Jesus, verse 6, Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Now, I put this in your outline for you. If some pastors, ministers lead people to follow another voice, they are leading them to not be part of his flock. 
that there are ministers out there and they lead people to follow a different voice. They are leading them to not be part of Jesus' flock. As a consequence, though, they will not know His voice and can be deceived to follow other voices. Now, would this put people on a narrow path or a wide one? Well, deceivers will put these folks on a wide path. Jesus' voice will put them on a narrow one. Just because a ministry is large doesn't mean they are or are not leading in the narrow way. Sometimes we just look at a ministry and well, it's too big. Obviously, they're, they're missing it. No, you can't ever judge by the size. Whose voice are they leading people to? Verse, um, before we go on, one, ha- one who has been led to Jesus and taught his voice will by no means follow the voice of a stranger. You won't follow the voice of a disease. If you have been taught to follow the voice of God. This is one of the ways you can learn the difference between being compelled and led. These other voices compel people. The voice of the shepherd leads. You can learn the difference in the voices. You can learn the difference in being compelled or being led. Now, many of you have encountered a decision on a job, a health matter, a procedure. Some of you have come to me about it. Some of you are going to other people. But if you came to me and you asked me about it, usually the one thing that some of you recently have done this and some in years past, they, they usually uh, will hear these very words from me. What's your spirit telling you to do? What do you get in your spirit? Because I know my role is to make sure I lead you to the voice of the shepherd. That's the main thing. you got to learn the voice of the shepherd. I don't think I've ever said to anybody, oh, well, that's not right, if they tell me what it is that they feel like God is telling them to do. It is more important to learn the voice of the shepherd than it is to take the right job or have the right procedure. It is more important to learn the voice of the shepherd. I would rather be working towards learning the voice of the shepherd and take a wrong job than to not learn the voice of the shepherd and stumble upon the right one. Because the most important thing we have is to learn that voice. Let's go on here. Verse 7. Then Jesus said to them, I'm sorry, then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Hmm. So now he first introduced the door and that the shepherd comes through the door, but now he's saying, I am the door. I am the door. And we're going to take a look at this question too. What are some of the other ways that people desire to get in? But Jesus said to them here, I am the door of the sheep. So he's the gate. He's the door. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. How many of you are familiar with that verse? 
probably quoted that a whole lot of times. Did you know that this is the context of it? The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Now look at this. Who is the thief? Now hold on a minute. Most of the times that you quoted this, who do you see the thief as? Satan. In the context of this, who's the thief? The people who enter into the sheepfold in the wrong way. So the thief certainly can be Satan. We know that Satan does do these things. But in his context, what he's teaching you here is that people who enter into the sheepfold the wrong way and don't come through the gate have these things in mind. To steal, to kill, to destroy. Isn't that what he's saying? Isn't that the context of it? There's no devil in this context. I'm not saying you can't apply it to that. What I'm telling you is this. You've got to broaden it out. Because sometimes we have looked at people in ministry and have not seen that they've come through a different way. But we're going to look at what this gate is. Because I've got to understand fully what he's talking about as far as the gate is. We have to go to some other places of Scripture for that. We'll get there here in just a minute. Where do we leave off at? Verse, we get down to 10. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So the idea with with the shepherd is he comes to the sheepfold, he brings the sheep out the gate, they go out and they pasture, they eat, and then he brings them back in, puts them away, comes out again, brings them out, gets them some water, some food, brings them back in. So they have life because of this actions of the shepherd. But when Jesus says, I am the door, what exactly does he mean? So I wrote some scriptures down there for you. I'm going to read them for you, but you have the references if you ever want to go back and take a look at these. The first one's in this Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by what? By the word. That Jesus washes, sanctifies, cleanses with the washing of water by the word. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5 and then verse 14. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. What is the word? God. God and the Word are one. Let's keep going. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not comprehend it. Now jump on down to verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. So the Word was God. The Word became flesh. So Jesus is... Jesus is the Word. Jesus is the Word become flesh. Jesus said, I am the... I am the gate. If Jesus is the gate, and the Word became flesh, which is Jesus then the Word has to be a big part or is the gate. Right? 
Can you get away from the Word being involved in the gate? If the Word becoming flesh is Jesus. I don't see any ways you can do that. In Him was life and life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness does not comprehend it. Same attributes that the Word has. John six forty nine, Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat it, eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I give for the life of the word. Now we, we've also heard it said that the word is the bread of life, that there's, there's bread there, that there is food there. And Jesus, we know in the communion, the bread represents his body. So he says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Verse 52, the Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and will, I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. In the video teaching that we have coming out for you this week, you're going to hear some interesting statistics about the manna that fell on the wilderness. I'll just leave that there for you at that. One more verse, Matthew 4, 4. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Literal bread is not what he's talking about, but the word. So the word was God. The word became flesh. Jesus' flesh is something that we need in order to be saved. The word is intricately involved in the gate. That gate that Jesus says into the sheepfold is a big part, or the Word has a big part in it. When ministers leave the Word to teach other things, when ministers leave the Word to teach things, it doesn't actually say or mean. When ministers leave the Word of God to teach things that it doesn't actually say or mean, what are they doing? I know it's going to be a little harsh. They are entering in another way. Are they not? They're teaching things and it doesn't say and doesn't mean. Now sometimes it's just things we're, we're not sure about. We're growing in our understanding. But there are people, they have refused the light. People that are out there and they're trying to tell folks, well, any kind of lifestyle that you want is okay. Anybody you love is okay. Well, if you don't think that you were born right, then you can change it. If you think God made a mistake, all these kind of things. These are, these are people that are coming into the sheepfold for the purpose of what? Steal, kill, and destroy. 
when ministers leave the Word to teach things not in the Word at all. It's not in there. My wife was listening to somebody. She actually came down one morning. She was saying, oh, I got this guy queued up. I'm going to go up in there and listen to him. And he's teaching on the spiritual gifts. A little while later, she came down. Did you know that there's 22 spiritual gifts? No, there's nine. Of course, she knew that. And uh, when he got to a certain spot, I asked her if she finished and what all 22 works. She said, I didn't get that far. He got to this point, and I turned it off. She said, but what it was. And, but there's people out there, they will teach things that are not in the Word at all. But they will teach them as if they are. I know people who believe things that are not in the Word. They, but they believe that they're in there. Because people have taught them. Because they came to the sheepfold, how? Another way. When ministers leave the word to teach things by stretching a verse or two to get a meaning. Oh, I've seen this one go on. <laughs> I got this verse and this verse, and I think they mean this. And they stretch all kinds of meanings out of it. Um, no. And here's the last one. When ministers leave the word to teach things, no one actually does in the Bible. I mean, they teach you to do things that no one in the Bible ever did. Why do we need to do something that no one in the Bible has ever done? They didn't do it in the Old Testament. Jesus didn't do it. Paul, Peter, John, none of them did it. Why do we need to do something that they didn't do? We don't have it down as good as they did. When ministers leave the word to teach other things, they're coming in another way. One of my great passions is to see the meat and truth of God's Word taught. When teaching bears off a foundation, I usually try and point out where it did. <clears throat> when a passage is mistaught, I sometimes go back over and show you the context, what the verses actually do teach. We did that last week. How many times? I think two times I pulled up and said, haven't you ever heard this taught this way? And many of you shook, yeah, yeah, I heard it taught that way. Does it say that? No, like the keep on asking. How many times have we heard it taught? We'll keep on asking for the same thing, but it never said that in there. It was implied. People put that in there. And so we showed you some, some other things with that. Because it's important that we know what the shepherd said. If I'm going to learn his voice, i got to know what he said. Over the years that we've been pastoring here, many people have come who identified a problem area of belief. They would, they would just talk to me, and I would hear things. Oh, we have a problem area of belief here. Sometimes it was shepherding. Sometimes it was some quirky things in the area of deliverance. I'm not saying that deliverance is wrong. I'm saying they had some quirky ideas on, on the area of deliverance. Sometimes there's some quirky things in the area of spiritual warfare. And the list can go on. There's all kinds of things that, that can, can happen on these things. It's something not in Scripture, but they hold in high esteem. My strategy has always been the same over all these years with these people. Teach the Word in other areas. I constantly, when I, once I identify they have a problem in this area, I don't teach it. I teach other areas. Because my goal is to get as much word into them as I can. Because I know that the way most people are on these things, once you ruffle their feathers in their pet doctrine, they will leave. So the goal is, let's try before they get the feathers ruffled, let's try and get some word in them. Because if I can get the word into them, if I can get them to hear what God says about the Word in other areas, perhaps we can teach them the voice of God so they can understand the voice they're hearing on that particular doctrine is not His. That's always been my strategy. Sometimes it works. 
Sometimes it doesn't. I want them to see other truth so they can tune into the voice of God. I try and keep that problem area at bay, but sometimes they bring it to, to the forefront. Sometimes other people bring it to the forefront in discussions that they have with them. Once it comes out, then I usually try and, you know, I know my time is limited. <laughs> I always know. I don't know if that means it's weeks, months, or a year, but I know my time is limited. And so then I try and get them as much word on that area as I can to try and help them in that. But that's always been the strategy because I know the main thing that we have to understand is the voice of, of the shepherd. If I can learn the voice of the shepherd, he won't lead me in the wrong places. Well, whenever we pursue something that is not in the Word, elevated to the level of truth and live by it, we are yielding to a person or people that Jesus called thieves and robbers. And that's why you got to be real careful about that. That's why I get passionate about some of these topics when people start veering off of the Word. Because I know if I, if I do it myself, if I let other people do it, if that happens, we will get away from the voice of the shepherd and someone else's voice we will follow. Ever wonder why I get so passionate about that? And when I hear people teach things and they're not right, the reason that wakes me up to such passion, oh, I get so mad when they, they do, because I know if you listen, if you follow after this, and we're still more on this, we'll, we'll get into it in just a minute. If you follow after this, you will lose your sensitivity to the voice of the shepherd and gain your sensitivity to a thief or a robber. Verse 11 of John 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling, does not care about the sheep. The shepherd cares for the sheep. The hireling cares for the paycheck. He's been hired. That's all he wants. I'm not, I don't get paid enough to lay my life down for sheep. But the shepherd loves the sheep. The true shepherd cares more about the sheep than himself. And Jesus uses himself as the model. Verse 14. I am the good shepherd. And I know my sheep and am known by my own. It's a two-way thing. Not only do I come to know the voice of the shepherd, but the shepherd knows me. In fact, one, one verse earlier, it said he called him by name. Shepherd knows each sheep. You can go in there and look at a bunch of sheep, see a hundred sheep, and they all look the same to me. Oh, no, no, no. And the shepherd will start telling you, well, this one is... And you know, give you the names he's got for each one of them. Maybe he calls it on over. Each one's got something that's a little bit different. Now, we experienced that firsthand when we were, uh, my wife and I, we, we were breeding white shepherds. Because I don't know if you know this, but when white shepherds are born, guess what color they are? They're white. <laughs> Wasn't a trick question. <laughs> They are completely white. There are no spots on a white shepherd. They have no pigment at all in their fur. They are white from head to toe. And yet, in every batch, we could tell exactly who was who. 
They're all white. They're all the same size. They're all little fluff balls. But we knew exactly. Not only us, not only my wife and I, but Alyssa and Christian. They were young at the time. They could tell them, oh, that's fluffy. Oh, that's bully. Yeah, we had a dog we named Bully. Yep. We, and they would all get names, and we named them after their personalities. Now, if you ever raise dogs, if we ever do decide to raise dogs, the boys have the strong personalities. Girls, not so much. The boys have the strong personalities. Their personalities will come out in the first weeks. You will know what that personality of that boy is going to be. Girls, not so much. The girls in the, in the litters, they got names like uh, Princess, Daisy, you know, stuff like that. The boys, they had personality names. Because we named them after their, after their personalities, who they were, who they developed to be. But we could tell the difference between them because we were there with them all the time. Other people would come in, they see all these white dogs. You know, they all look the same to me. But you see the shepherd, he knows the individual markings on each one. He knows the individual traits of each one. And so he can tell who's who. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. Weist translates this verse this way. I alone am the shepherd, the good one, and I know by experience those that are mine, and those that are mine know me by experience. This is just, I wanted to show you this. Weist is bringing this part of it out. When it uses the word know, it's not using the Greek word oida, which means an absolute knowledge. It means it's a, a, a word, gnosko, which would mean a knowledge gained by experience, walking with them. What he is saying here is, I am not using my God knowledge to know you. I am using my experience knowledge. I have walked with you and you have walked with me. And I am using that knowledge. That's how I, I know you by experience the same way that you know me by experience. I have walked with you. Remember the letters to the seven churches? Jesus said, I walked among you. I was there. I saw your works. I know your works. He knows you. The simple traits of the sheep are these. You can fill these out in your outline. The simple traits of his sheep are these. First, they know his voice. His sheep know his voice. That's the first trait. They know his voice. Second, they follow his voice. They know his voice and they follow his voice. Here's the third trait. They learn his commands. We know this from other areas of Scripture. We just went over some of those not too long ago. They learn his commands. People that love him do his commands. That's the fourth one. They learn his commands and they do his commands. So they know his voice, they follow his voice, they learn his commands and they do his commands. Those are his sheep. Other traits are for different folds. Other, there's other traits for other folds. Now how many... I'm, I'm going to bring in a sports team example. And since we're in baseball season, we'll use the Phillies. Bruce and Phyllis will like this. When you are a member of the Phillies team, what is it that you wear on the field? Do you go down to the sporting goods store and buy a sports jersey? No. Do you get one of the copies that Reebok makes? No, when you are drafted, when you are traded for, when you sign a contract with the Phillies, the Phillies then assign you a number and a jersey. And they put that number and your name 
on the jersey, and the jersey has the Phillies logo on it, and it's in, in the Phillies colors. And then you are to take that jersey and put that jersey on whenever you go out in the field and represent the team. After the game, you still have that jersey on, at least for a little while. Other times you may have that on. You represent the team. This is shows I am part of this fold, this, this team. Now, when you come part of the team, there's a manager of the team. Sometimes we call them coaches in other leagues, but in the baseball world, they call them the manager. So you have the manager of the team. That manager of the team, he's the boss. And what he says goes. And so he may come out with a lineup card. And on that lineup card, your name may not be on it. If your name's not on the lineup card and nine guys get on the lineup card to be in the, and plus the pitcher, nine guys get to be on the lineup card. Used to be just nine. Now they changed the rules. But nine guys go on that lineup card and we had the batting order in there. This is the guy who starts out first. So there's no contest in the dugout. Who's going out first? Well, who's up first? Well, right there. And so that person who's on the lineup card that the manager set, they come out first and they go and they bat. If they get out, they get on base, the next guy comes up. Say that the first guy gets on base. And he's out there, he's, he's looking for opportunity. Next guy's up there at the, at the plate. And the manager sends a sign to one of the coaches to send a sign to uh, have him steal a base. What if he doesn't want to steal a base? No. Why does, he, why does he steal the base? Because the voice of the manager said, steal the base. So he's going to look for an opportunity to steal that base and get that. And if he gets it done, looks back at the manager, got it done. <laughs> got it done. If the next guy coming on up and the manager says, I want you to bunt, what's he do? Does he, does he stop and say, I don't want to bunt. No, what's he do? He bunts. We're, we're going to put the bunt down, and, uh, but I really want to hit. I think I can hit this one out. Manager says, bunt. Well, he bunts. And so this is the way that it goes on. This is how we, how we do it. And there's, there's a lot more things that go on with this. As you're rounding the bases, there's a third base coach. You know what the job of the third base coach is? His job is to watch the field to see where the ball's in play. And so when you're rounding second, he lets you know if he thinks you have a chance to get from second to third before the ball gets here. That's his job. It is not the job of the person rounding the bases. It is the job of the third base coach. His job is not to be turning around looking. His job is to be hustling and getting around as much as he can. When he gets to that second base, his eyes are up and he's looking to the third base coach. What am I doing? And the third base coach, come on. And so, all right, he's, he doesn't look back to see where the ball is. Because I got the coach over here who's told me, come on, let's go. And so the coach is, is waving him in. And then if you ever watch this, I don't watch baseball hardly at ever, but I know some of the things about it. And so he's coming on in. He may go to something like this. And what's he saying? Slide. It's a close play. You need to slide. Otherwise, he may, he may give him a sign. Don't, you don't have to slide. Just stand right up. And then he's watching it still to see where that ball is. And if he's coming around here to third and he's thinking he might have a chance to get home, he's going to be, come on, come on, come on. And the, the guy who's running, all he's doing is looking at the third base coach. I don't have to look out here to the ball. I just got to look to the third base coach. He's looking. He knows my speed. He knows how fast I am. He knows how slow I might be. 
he knows whether I have a shot to, to make it. And generally, whenever you get in, you will also notice this. If a runner came in before, or if a runner, I'm sorry, runner, a, a batter is coming up to the plate, and he's in the box, and he sees this happening, he'll stand back, but in view of the person coming from third, to give him a sign whether he should slide or whether he should stand up. So they all depend on each other for this, for these kind of things. But when you go out on that field, you represent the team. You represent the Phillies. You got their uniform on. And you were all out there for the one purpose of winning. You want to win the game. That's your purpose. The Phillies, the people on the Phillies team, they want the Phillies to win the game. I think they're playing the Mets this weekend. People in the Mets dugout, who they want to win the game. They want the Mets to win the game. They're wearing different colors. They're submitted to a different coach. They're doing things a little bit differently. Not the same as the Phillies dugout. It's a different dugout. What God is saying is, here is my sheepfold. We operate in a certain way. You operate this way, you learn my voice. And I learn you. Just like the third base coach can know, this guy's fast. I, it's going to be close, but I think he can make it. Wait a minute, this guy's not as fast. I don't think he can make it. We need to stop him right here. Because he knows him. We've got a, we got a God who knows us. And when he tells us, you can do this, you can go, you can, you can make this work, then we need to trust him. All right, God said I can do this. God said I can go. God said I should... And we, we embark. Well, the Lord said, I'm healed. Well, the Lord said, I'm forgiven. Well, the Lord told me, don't be anxious. Well, the Lord told me, study the word. Well, the word told me, pray. And I take, his, I take what he says to do. I don't sit there and fight him on it. I listen and I yield myself to it. If you are a player on the Phillies team and the coach says bunt and you don't bunt. He says steal and you don't steal. He says play in and you don't play in. He says go deep and you don't go deep. And you're always bucking. Always coming against. How long are you going to be on that team? There's going to be a rift in there. And see the enemy's goal is to come in and to disrupt the sheepfold. He wants to try and get you to yield to a different voice. If you can get the Phillies players to yield to the Mets coach, how good would the Phillies team be doing? See, because the Mets coach is going to coach them in a way that his team wins, not theirs. When we submit to thieves and robbers and we do what they want, we are submitting to people who want us to lose. They may not even know they want us to lose. But the Word of God says of those people, they are stealing killing and destroying. If you're going to enter in, how did Jesus say you're supposed to enter in? Through the gate. Come in through the Word. Don't shortchange it. Don't say, well, it's, it's kind of like what the Word... No, I don't want kind of like what the Word says. If you ever wonder where I get those three pillars that I'm always telling you about, that I always say they're the most important things, make sure that it's in the Word clearly. Make sure it's in the Word often. And make sure someone did it. Someone demonstrated it. I keep those things before me because I know if I keep them before me, I learn His voice. If I let those things go, I will learn the voice of another. Verse 15. 
As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them I also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and they will be one flock and one shepherd. If you're wondering who those other sheep are, I suspect my, my instincts tell me on this, it's the Gentile church that would be coming in. The fold right there is the Jewish folks, but we know we're going to be expanding this. Verse 17, Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I, take, that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. If you have ever asked the question, when we see that Jesus is uh, talking to his disciples, and he says, don't you know that I could call for a, a 10,000 angels to come and deliver? If you ever wonder, how is it that it is God's will for him to go to the cross? How can it also be God's will to come and deliver him? He says, I can call on them, they'll come. Would they come if it's not God's will? How is it that Jesus could say it's the will of God that I go to the cross and die for the sheep? but also be in a place to say <clears throat> that he could call down angels. Because one is directly against the other, isn't it? It's simply this way. He tells it to you right here. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it up again. This commandment I have received from my Father. The thing about Jesus going to the cross, he went to the cross in obedience. He was not forced the only way Jesus could go to the cross in obedience is if Jesus had the ability to free himself from the cross. If he was ever locked in on it and he had no choice, then it was not obedience. Up until the time that he died, he had the ability to call down legions of angels to come and deliver him. And it would have happened because he had that ability. But he obediently went to the cross. I know I can call for this, but I am not going to because the Father gave me a command and said, I need you to die for the sheep. And I will obey that even though I have the ability in me to lay down my life or take it up. But I choose to lay it down to be one who obediently obeys the will of the Father. That's the example we have. That's the example we are to follow. We are to obediently obey the will of the Father. When he says, don't worry, what should we do? Argue about why we have a reason, how we have cause? No, we don't worry. Therefore, there was a division again among the Jews because of this saying, and many of them said, He has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? <clears throat> Others said, These are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Seems they missed what Jesus was saying. A lot of times we miss what Jesus is saying. We get caught up in some other details. That's what they did. Verse 22, Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. Think back to when we went over just recently, the seven feasts of Israel. Which feast is in the winter. None. 
There are spring feasts. There are fall feasts. There are zero feasts in the winter. It is winter right now. What is the Feast of Dedication? How many have ever read over this verse about the Feast of Dedication? And just Feast of Dedication. That's fine. Never wonder. Do you ever wonder what it was? I wrote this in your outline. You can fill this in if you want. The Feast of Dedication is better known today as Hanukkah. (laughs) It was called the Feast of Lights, Feast of Dedication. Later today, we know it more as Hanukkah. It is the Festival of Lights. It is a time when, uh, if you don't know the background on this, I'll give you just the the really short version of the thing. You can go look it up if you want to find out more. Back in uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, Antiochus Epiphanes is the forerunner to Antichrist. He came over and desecrated the temple. And he put idol worship up in there. He slaughtered the priest. He slaughtered pigs in in the temple. Desecrated the place. And then he set up this false worship. And Israel was under that oppression for a number of years. There was a group of people called the Maccabees. How many have ever heard of the Maccabees? The Maccabean period. They rose up and rebelled against the Seleucid Empire, which is what Antiochus Epiphanes was from. It was uh, one of the Grecian empires. It is better known as the King of the North. Does that ring a bell? Antiochus Epiphanes, the forerunner to Antichrist, comes out of the King of the North. King of the North is in the area of Turkey, Iran, Iraq, Syria, Assyria. All these nations are in there. They make up the area known as the King of the North. There was a, just a little side note here. There's a little thing going on over there in Turkey. And um, if we had a little bit more, a little bit more uh, interaction on Facebook, I was going to put something up on there. Because it was really interesting. How many of y'all know Turkey just had elections? Turkey just had elections. And the guy running has been in power, I think the time frame is about 30 years. I think it's about 30 years he's, he's been in power. And it was a real close runoff here. New group wants to come in and knock him out. And so I was putting some things together about it. There's really no other place I could put it up there outside of Facebook. But I was looking at some things about what impact will this have on the end times. If the guy in power stays in there, it would have a certain amount of impact. Well, he's taking it in a certain direction. And that direction is away from the West. If the new guy comes in, he may just scrap everything with the West altogether. We do the way that seems like the nation is moving away. Now, now they had ended up having a runoff and the, uh, the runoff was uh, real close, but the guy in power held his power. And so it's, he's still going on about that sort of thing. So that's some of the unrest, some of the things that are going on with Turkey. Turkey is actually one of our bigger allies in that area. And uh, we do depend on them a good bit. Uh, I'm pretty sure this is going to be severed somewhere to make way for the end times. I don't see any way that we're going to be teamed up with Turkey for this to, to go on. So do be... Look, I saw that coming up and I thought, oh, that has my interest. So there's a lot more of it on that. You can go probably check out some more things if you want to. But this was the feast of, oh, the, um, yes, the guy was telling you about the Hanukkah. So what happened was that these folks rose up and they kicked Antiochus Epiphanes and the, uh, the Seleucid Empire out. And they retook Jerusalem and they cleansed the temple. When they came into the temple, they wanted to have this dedication. It's time of dedicating the temp- temple. And it was going to be uh, a feast. And then when they came on in, the uh, 
people who came in and desecrated the temple, they had ruined all the olive oil that was set apart for this service. There were certain things you had to do to purify it, to uh, make it right for this for temple uh, worship. So when they came in, they found one one jug of olive oil for the for the ceremony, for the burning of the of the lamp. And so they put the oil in the lamps, and they said uh, they didn't have enough oil to burn these lamps for more than one day. But the lamps burned for eight. It took them that long to get more olive oil ready. It wasn't that they were just, hey, let's see how long this thing goes. It takes a little while to get the olive oil ready for the use that they have in the temple. So they set about it immediately to get some more ready. But it was going to take a little while. And the oil burned for eight days, even though it was only supposed to be enough for one. That's what they celebrate when they do Hanukkah. So this is the Feast of Dedication. Made it in Hanukkah, made it into the Word of God. It's not a mosaic feast. It's not one of the ones that the Levitical law laid down, but it surely is a good one. Just because there were seven feasts that were laid out in the Word of God doesn't mean that's the only thing God wanted them to remember. There were other things that they could remember as well. And of course, they had the Feast of Purim. That was the whole thing with Esther. The things that went on with that. And there's other ones that they have come up with as well. They're not bad. They just they remind them of things that God had done. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch and the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Least Weist puts it this way. How long are you holding us in suspense? Maybe we understand that a little bit better. Don't keep us in suspense. Just tell us. Are you Messiah or not? Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do... In my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. That word there, snatch, you all going to know this one. You've been around here for any time. You can probably even guess it. It is the Greek word, harpazo. It means to literally come back and violently snatch them out. He says, no one can come and violently snatch them out of my hand. No one can harpazo them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my, my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So at first he says, no one will snatch them out of my hand. Then he says, no one will snatch them out of my Father's hand. But he says, I and the Father are one. When we pursue, hang on to, or refuse revelation, I am identifying myself as not of his sheep. When, I, when we pursue, hang on to, or refuse revelation that the Lord is sending to me, I am identifying myself as not of his sheep. Because his voice is coming to me, and I am saying, no. The light came to these leaders, but they refused it. They refused it. Now, I said this to you at the beginning. One of, if not the most important signs of spiritual growth is knowing the voice of God. One of, if not the most important signs of spiritual growth is knowing the voice of God. 
If you say, well, I thought knowing the Word was. No, because if you know the voice of God, you'll know things that are not in the Word. Because He will lead you into, into them. He will instruct you. He will help you with the, those things. It is the most, to me, it is the most important sign of spiritual growth. Not of being saved. Of spiritual growth. This is what tells you that you are growing. When you know the voice of God. And you are learning the voice of God. How, think back on this one, parents. Think back on the day when your child, newborn child, began to recognize your voice. How excited were you? They heard your voice and they looked around for you. Oh, but that might make you excited. God wants you to know His voice. We often think of this just in receiving direction or revelation. A lot of times I think of, of knowing the voice of God. Just, well, He's giving me direction. I heard the voice of God. I'll go this way. Uh, he gave me revelation. That's all we think about for the voice of God. But also, very telling, is our ability to discern light from darkness. You need to have the ability to be able to discern light from darkness by the voice of the shepherd. That when darkness comes and approaches you, the voice of the shepherd says, Danger! No! That's not truth. And I don't know all the ins and outs about it, but I know the voice of the shepherd said, No! Or somebody is teaching something, and on my inside, I don't, this is all new to me, but this feels right. Because the voice of the shepherd is saying, Yes, that is truth. This is one of the most important things that you will see. One of the most important gauges of your spiritual growth is how easy is it for you to discern false teaching? How easy is it for you to discern? So important for us. Believers who can't hear false or errant teaching when they hear it have not come to know the voice of the shepherd. But we need to come to know that voice. You see, when I know that voice and someone, a prophet, a teacher, a minister, whoever, is beginning to declare some things about the Word, to teach some things about the Word, on the inside of me it says, nope, nope, uh, I don't know exactly why. Sometimes I do know exactly why. But uh, I don't always have to. But my spirit is saying, nope, nope, nope. The shepherd's saying no to this one. And I don't need to know all that, all that stuff. That's why I get amazed at some of the things on Facebook that people will put up, ministers will put up. I, I don't see, I don't have, I, I've got like, I have so few people on my Facebook page. Because I, I, if you start doing crazy, nutso stuff, we just, we're done. I don't need all that sort of stuff. I just don't, I don't need to see it. My wife has more contacts on it than I do. And sometimes she'll bring someone with me. What do you think of this? Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> Alarms going off. No. No, that's not. But you look down the comment. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. It's like, can't you people discern? That's not in the Word. That's not in the Word. Why are you, why are you swallowing this? Why are you taking it off? Because they don't know the voice of the Father. They don't know the voice of the Shepherd. They have followed another voice. They have gone in another direction. They will follow after that voice of a stranger or one who enters another way. They didn't come in through the Word. They came in another way. They willingly leave the safety of the fold, the protection of the shepherd, to follow some new doctrine or way of moving into some new spectacular thing. 
We don't have to search for false doctrine. When it comes to our ears, our spirit should rise up and say, that is not the great shepherd's voice. The crowd around you at the conference that you're at might be saying, Amen, Hallelujah. But don't give in to the pressure to follow. Don't give in to the prayer. Well, I better start AMA and hallelujah too because they're going to be saying that I'm over here. You know, that doesn't bug me. I've been in places and they're teaching something false and everybody's standing up hollering, hallelujah, hallelujah. I'll sit myself right on down there and I'll have a look on my face as I do not agree with it. I don't care. All look at me. Come on. Ask me about it. I dare you. <laughs> I do not give in to that kind of pressure. If you are saying something and it does not agree with the Spirit of God on the inside of me, you're not getting a single amen. I don't feel pressure to. I don't need to. Because I know the more I give into that, the more I'm giving into a wrong voice and I can be led astray. And I do not want to be led astray. Even if you're wrong, maybe that was something right. It is better to meditate on teaching to see if it's so than to just accept it into your beliefs. You're better off just, I'm not going to say amen or hallelujah. I'm going to go away. I'm going to think about this. Search it out in the scripture like the Bereans. Remember, they, Paul came to them and they all went and checked it out. Paul would teach them one day. They'd go home and check it all out. Oh, yeah, yeah we checked all that stuff out. I was right. That was, that was right. Because they, were, they were doing this. Wonderful people. Paul loved it. Go home, check it out. See if you ought to do it. If you don't know why a thing is wrong, but in your spirit, it seems to be... Just say, I don't have that revelation yet. I mean, that's a safe out, right? If you don't have the wherewithal to say what's wrong with it, just simply say, ah, I don't have that revelation just yet. When you stay with the shepherd, with his sheep, and don't follow another, no one will ever snatch you out of his hand. The devil knows this and is constantly at work to get believers to follow another voice. One who enters another way. He doesn't even care who. If he can get you to follow another voice, he will weaken the shepherd's, shepherd's voice in you. You will be more prone to following after false doctrine. He just needs to get you after to follow a little bit of false doctrine because that little bit begins to get you desensitized to the things of God because in order to yield to it, you have to say no to the voice of God saying, no, Steve, don't go there. That's not a good place to be. Stay out of it. Be passionate about the word and accept no substitute. Be a stickler with it. See it in the word. I've missed out on all kinds of newfangled movements that have gone on. A lot of them have come and gone. I don't care about that. I care about staying with the Word. I care about growing in the Word. I care about seeing more and understanding more of my Father's will. And I'm doing it. I don't want to just see it and understand it. I want to put it into practice in my life. I want to do it. Then I want to go out and learn some more. I don't want to do that. When you are tuned into the Father's voice, if somebody speaks a word of prophecy over you that is wrong, your, your spirit will say, boy, that appeals to your flesh. That's wrong. And you'll, you'll walk away from it. If somebody's teaching you something, down on the inside, that's wrong. That's wrong. It's not in the word. 
That's not, that's not how my father goes. And you go, don't go after it. And when you start doing this, oh, I tell you, it helps us out. I'll give you this example for it. How many of your diets that you're on, whatever diet you're on, how many of your diets that you're on would go better if you had no sugar, no cookies, no cake, no ice cream? I mean, as far as the diet is concerned, not talking about your life enjoyment. Talking about the diet is concerned. How many would go better? How many, like, the smell of pizza pulls you right out. Going on by the yum yum donut shop pulls you right out. Checking out the grocery store and there's the candy bar pulls you right out. And you, every once in a while, you have a cheat, right? Go on, you, you cheat and you, you get a little bit of that. But how much better would it be if you didn't cheat? I mean, you're making progress, but how much progress would you make if you didn't cheat? How much progress would you make spiritually? If you didn't keep getting fed some fatty stuff, some donuts, candy bars. If your spirit would always go off, that's not on the diet. That's not what you need to have. And you shut it down right away. So many times we've heard people that come back from conferences, that come back from things, and they say, oh, this was so good or this was so great. And they've been in a meeting. They come out. We heard the meeting. They come, oh, that was so great. And we're listening to the meeting. There was nothing there. How is it that you saw that as so great? Now, most of the time we just take that, all right, this is what we have to do. This is our assignment for, for this one. We have to get them to see some of these other things. We've got to get them more turned on into these, the things of God. Would you all stand up with me? Father, I thank you that you have equipped us with the ability to hear the voice of the shepherd. And that voice of the shepherd is so sold out for us that he will give his life for us. There is nothing good that our shepherd would withhold from us. And if that shepherd's voice says, don't listen to that, don't take that in, don't believe that, then that's exactly what we need. It's exactly what we need to do. Father, continue to grow us up to hear your voice, to know your voice amongst all the voices that are around. That our spiritual growth will take off even more. I thank you for it. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, glory to God. I hope that uh, helped you out here today. We have a video teaching coming up, and I want you to know, in getting something ready for video teaching, I listened to a lot this week. And I don't usually do this, but I'm going to give you some of the names. I'm not telling you that these names are people that don't have anything good. I'm saying I listened to them, and I couldn't find anything that was good for this. I listened to Tommy, Tommy Barnett. I listened to Tommy Bates. I listened to Jack Hibbs. Alistair Begg. Steve Smotherman. Keith Butler. Alan Clayton, Jackie Hill, Iva Bennett. I got so wore out. Listen, all this. There's nothing there. There's not. There's not nothing that I want to. So I went back to Rick Renner. <laughs> I love Rick Renner. The style of, of preaching, 
I just, I thoroughly enjoy. I love Rick Renner. I love Fred Price. They, they're two people, they fire it at you quick. Fred Price, if you can get some young Fred Price, I am still looking for young Fred Price. I've gone eBay, I think I told you some of that. I've got, I got to find some sources for that because I just love young Fred Price. He hits you hard. He hits you fast. <clears throat> I love, that is one of my favorite styles of teaching. There are not, I don't know anybody else who teaches like Fred Price did. I don't know anybody. I listen to a lot of people. I don't know anybody who teaches like that. Rick Renner, though, he teaches a little different way, and I, I enjoy that. So this is a, a, it's not a new one, but he's got props again. He's bringing in props and, and giving away stuff. So it's not as critical as the last one I told you. You need to see this on video. If you see it on video, it's great. If you just listen to it, you'll, you'll do well. But um, it's a good teaching. I just listened to oh, that. Oh, that was some real good food for me to enjoy. So uh, not necessarily anything in line with this. I did look for some stuff in line with John 10 and some of this. And the only one I could find was, was Keith Moore. Now, I love Keith Moore. And if you want to hear more on this particular t- topic of knowing the Father's voice, if, you, if that's something that's interesting to you, Keith Moore has a 10-part, I think it's 10 parts, has a 10-part series on this. If you go up on YouTube and do a search for Keith Moore, Shepherd's vo- or um, Father's Voice, you'll, you'll find them. And you can go through all of them. You've got 10 of them there that'll keep you busy for a little while. Um, this one, I actually downloaded it. It's on our, our site. I edited it a little bit. I took out the first seven minutes of it because it was just some preliminary stuff. So it's going to be a little bit under an hour. And I hope that you can, you can enjoy it and find it beneficial for you. Always love your comments when you all write me back and tell me, oh, I like this, I didn't like that. Uh, always trying to find different, different style people for you to get a chance to listen to.